What is going on, everybody? Some of y'all are like, you back out here again? I am. Here we are. Listen, what an amazing testimony to God at work through those lives that have been changed through Jesus. Yeah, y'all make some noise for that. Um, I pray that that never gets old for us. I pray that every time we see evidence of lives being changed that we can't help ourselves and people around us think we are crazy because we are excited about what God is up to. May that never become normal to us. I want to start our time together with a picture. This picture was taken 15 years and almost four months ago. In case you are not familiar with who that good-looking full head of hair man is, that is me. And this was December 17th, 2005, and that very beautiful woman in white is my wife. Her name is Laura. And I remember this day like it was yesterday. I have very vivid memories of the day. I remember putting my tuxedo on. I remember walking out in front of everyone at the church I worked at on that day with my best friend and the pastor, and we were standing there down front. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, I wonder if Laura is really going to walk down the aisle. Because I recognized that she was way out of my league. And what if her and her bridesmaid were somewhere in the back, and the bridesmaid was like, girl, you sure? My car is right here. We can go. And then I remember just feeling all kinds of emotions and feelings rising up. And at that time, I was trying to push them down. Because at that time, I thought what it meant to engage with your emotions was to push them down and to ignore them. But I couldn't. And I remember when the really beautiful, emotionally charged song began to play. Why do we do that to ourselves, by the way? Like, you know what? When you walk down the aisle, I want the most emotional song ever playing so I can weep like a baby in front of everybody. But I remember I heard the song being sung, and y'all, it started to well up. And I remember when Laura and her father turned in, and then they started to walk down the center aisle. Y'all, I just kind of lost it. And I wish it was like one of those nice Hallmark cries, you know what I'm talking about? Where you just see that nice, well-placed tear, and the guy's like, I love you, you right? It wasn't quite like that. It was a lot more snot, and I couldn't breathe as well kind of deal. And then I remember thinking to myself, like, I am a hot mess. Is she still going to walk towards me? And every step, she walked towards me saying to the world and to our friends that this is the man I am choosing to spend the rest of my life with. When she got down front in front of me, her dad did this thing that I will never forget that he did because I knew that her dad had invested and loved her really well for 22 years. And he took her hand, and he placed her hand in my hand, and he gave me this beautiful gift of a wife. And I knew at that moment that, man, she was worthy to be held. Because I stood in awe of her, because I knew that when she was walking down the aisle, she was walking towards the unknown, she was walking towards a narrative that she didn't know would look the way that she thought it would look. She was walking into maybe people looking at her weird because she chose to marry a man that didn't look like her. 
When she was walking down the aisle, she was saying to the world and to me that, Nick, I'm going to walk with you no matter what. I'm going to love our kids. I'm going to guide our kids. I'm going to teach our kids that they have words and value, not just based on the color of their skin, but really because of the content of their character. That's what she did when she walked down the aisle. In all the unknown, in all the mess of life, she walked down the aisle and she was worthy of me beholding of pausing and taking notice of and just being in awe of that. And in that moment, I was never going to be the same again. Because before I got married, I would walk differently. But now I was doing life with this woman who said she was going to do life with me and love me in spite of it. And I honestly thought that that was the pinnacle. I thought, man, we have reached the crescendo right here, but can I just tell you, 15 years and almost four months, she is still giving me reason after reason to continue to behold. I want to show y'all another picture. This picture was taken two weeks ago. Look at that good-looking family in spite of me, y'all. Listen, as I look at this picture, like, I'm, I recognize that her walking down the aisle to come towards me was worthy of beholding, but this is even more worthy of beholding because she has done life with me. Y'all, she has put up with this for 15 years and four months. And in case you didn't know, this is a lot. (laughs) She has forgiven me. She has loved me. She has moved across the country as I step into the calling on my life. She has loved me in spite of me putting my job and my calling in front of her and my kids. She has reminded me of what is true when it was difficult. She is truly worthy of beholding. And here's the temptation for me. Sometimes... For me, in spite of all that we have walked through, I still have the temptation just to not be that much in awe of her and who she is and what she does. See, when she loves me in spite of me, when she serves me in spite of myself, when she loves our kids more so than I think is humanly possible and continues to walk with me wherever the Lord has called me to go, that sometimes becomes very normal to me. And it shouldn't. And as I think about her becoming normal and me not beholding her as I should, I can't help but think about my king. Because there are times, y'all, where I'm like, you know what? Jesus, you surrendering your life on the cross, that was swell. Jesus, you busting out of the tomb and putting death in the grave and reigning and ruling and making a way for me where there was the way, that is pretty great, Jesus, but it becomes ordinary and mundane. Can I just tell everybody something? The king is not ordinary or mundane. He is not something that we just shrug our shoulders at, nod our head and go, that was kind of cool. No, he is worthy of beholding. And as we navigate through Hebrews, what we are going to see is that because Jesus is greater than all things, he is worthy of beholding. And today we're going to keep it really simple. And some of you might leave this place and be like, man, all we talked about was Jesus and the gospel. I'm just going to keep it plain, make it plain for y'all. I ain't got nothing deeper or richer than the gospel. 
because the gospel is still very much vibrant and beautiful as long as I've been walking with Jesus and the first time I heard it. And let me go ahead and let you in on a little spoiler. Every single week that you come here, basically we're giving you the same, maze, the same message. Jesus did it. Praise the Lamb. Let's walk with him. It don't get any more complicated because some of us are like, oh, I need something deeper. Like, you don't need nothing deeper. The fact that you in a messed up state who was broken and running from the king, the king didn't let you run towards what was going to eventually kill you. He stepped out of glory, chased after you, met you where you were, got up on a cross, surrendered his life, paid a debt that you could not pay, got up three days later and said, hey, you can sit in the seat that I earned for you and I bought for you and you can walk in that. Never gets old, everybody. Never gets old. And it never will. But can I tell you something? If we're not careful... We can have this tendency for Jesus to become ordinary and not that great. We could view him through a lens where we go, oh, Jesus, that was cool what you did. But what have you done for me lately? To quote the great theologian Janet Jackson. It's kind of like this. I remember the first time I flew into Denver and I saw the Rockies. And the Rockies were bigger than the skyscrapers. I was in awe, because let's be honest, everybody, Tennessee has JV mountains compared to Colorado mountains. I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, I was like, wow, that's a hole. I remember the first time driving on the Pacific Coast Highway in California, I was like, that's what an ocean is supposed to look like. Don't be mad, those who go to the Gulf and like the East Coast, go to the West Coast and we can talk. But here's the tendency, and I have this thought. I wonder if those that live in Denver, if they're still in awe of the mountains. Because they see them every day. Have they just become muted and ordinary? For those who are commuting to work and have to get on the Pacific Coast Highway, is it just a body of water now? Is it something that is awe-inspiring for those that live close to the Grand Canyon? Do they go, eh, it's a hole? Or do they walk by it or drive by it or go to it and go, whoa, look at that. See, if we're not careful, we will have this bend for Jesus to become ordinary. And we won't give him the awe and behold him like we should. My prayer for us is that we will recognize whom our king is and that he is greater than all the things. Tony Evans says it this way about our king. You can't stroll into the office of the president, but through Jesus, you can come into the presence of God, the father, the creator, and sustainer of the universe. Did y'all hear what Tony Evans had to say about that? He said, because of Jesus, you get an audience with God the Father. What? And I think about me sometimes. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I can talk to him. That's cool. But what else is there? There's nothing more. That's all you need or could ever hope for is that you have a king who is on his throne who is greater than all things. And because he is greater than all things, we are better than we used to be. Because our king is greater than, we are better than. Better than what? Better than our past. Better than our formal, former decisions. 
better than what people have to say about us. Let me say that again. You are better than what people have to say about you. Because people are really good at bringing up your past, aren't they? Well, I remember when. Well, you can remember that all you want. Let me tell you what happened now. And let us be a people that believe what the king has to say about us. You might go, why should I believe the king? Because the brother was dead and now he's breathing and he's seated on the throne. His word and what he has to say about you carries a little bit more weight than what someone around you has to say. Your king calls you beloved. So you know what that means? You're beloved. And people can say what they want, but it won't change the fact that you're beloved and you have the evidence of an empty grave and a king seated on high that lets you know because he is greater than you are better than. So let's not get it twisted. And so may we today behold the king and may because of what we behold, may it change the way we live right here and right now. And as we walk through the book of Hebrews, we are going to see that the writer of Hebrews is just going, listen, let me tell you that our king is greater than all things and what the implications for us is. So as we open up our hearts and our mind to what the Lord has to say, let's pray and let's dive in. Father God, thank you. Thank you that because you are greater than, we are better than. May we not forget that. May our hearts be open to what you have for us today. May our feet be willing to walk in accordance to what you say to us today. And may we remember that our identity is rooted in your completed work and you have completed the work. And so we walk from a place of victory. Jesus, may we behold you. May we behold you in this moment. May we behold you as we go to lunch. May we behold you as we walk out this day. And as we behold you, may we walk differently in light of it. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you love us and you have changed us and that you are greater than all things. Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. You can go in your Bible app, go to Hebrews, look up our notes. They're live on there. And here's the thing you need to know. This might be good news for some of y'all. We are only going to read three verses in Hebrews. So y'all might get the Cracker Barrel before everybody else. We will see. So I'm going to read three verses in Hebrews, and I'm going to read a response that Paul wrote in Ephesians to really the greater than this of our king. And I hope that what we accomplish today is that we will get a better view of the king. And as we see him better, I think we will live differently in light of that. A couple of things to know as we start on this journey through Hebrews. Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. And for some of us, we might go, well, how do we know it's valid? How do we know it, it, it is speaking of the heart of God? Because as you read Hebrews, it reveals a correct posture of Jesus. And we can see through the evidence that this person knew Jesus and was encouraging this church to be reminded of the goodness of the king. And the writer was writing to an audience that was formerly walking in the Jewish tradition. That's how they were raised. But then they had an encounter with King Jesus, and it changed them. And see, they allowed the Lord, the king, Jesus, to sit on the throne of their lives, and they followed in line with that. But they came to a time where there was persecution beginning to happen. 
There were false teachers that were speaking things that didn't align with the gospel. They were getting tired. They were getting weary. It was like hit after hit after hit, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding them to keep your hope placed in the right place, and that is in Jesus. See, this audience was familiar with hard times, They were being hard-pressed on every side. And the writer of Hebrews wanted to remind them of what was true. J.D. Greer gives this great summary of the book of Hebrews. It says this, the writer of Hebrews has one basic message. Don't give up. Christ is better. Go all the way with him. I don't know about y'all, but this is probably a timely message. Can I get an amen? In the world that just seems like it just keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier, we need a reminder that the king is seated on the throne. He is still working. He is still moving. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Y'all ready? Even if you said no, we were going to go anyway. So get, get on board, everybody. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. The writer of Hebrews is very familiar with Old Testament culture. And they're going, listen, in prophets of old, they would remind us of what is true. There would be a messenger. God would speak to us in many different ways. He would even use animals. He would use fiery burning bushes that never caught on fire. He would use all kinds of ways to speak to us about his nature. Verse number two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What is the writer of Hebrews referring to when he says the last days? What they're referring to is this, is that the point when Jesus ascended to heaven until he comes back is the last days. So we currently are living in the last days. Goes on to say this. Whom he appointed heir of all things, talking about Jesus the son and through whom also he made the universe. I love that that's just the end of verse number two. And also, let me remind you that Jesus made everything. Why would the writer of Hebrews want to remind us of that truth? Why would he go or they go through the process of going, okay, let me tell you the past prophets would speak of God, but why would they spend so much time explaining who Jesus is? Because they wanted us to know, they wanted this Hebrew church to know that Jesus is a greater word. With Jesus, it was God's mic drop. Why? Because there was nothing more to say. What else do you have to say? Jesus died on the cross. He was risen from the grave. Now he is reigning and ruling at the right hand of his father. He is the final word. What does that mean? Let's put it in layman's term. Jesus is a big deal, everybody. He's everything that we hope for. He's everything that we need. He is everything that was promised. And he fulfilled what he was called to fulfill. He is the image of an invisible God that is who Jesus is. He's the superior revelation of God. 
He is the final word. When Jesus surrendered his life on a cross, he said to telestai, which means it is finished. What was finished? All of it was finished. What do you mean by all of it? The debt we owed was paid in full, and Jesus overcame the grave, which is the thing that used to hold us. But now through Jesus, it doesn't hold us anymore. Death, where is your sing, right? It's gone. Why? Because of the king. Jesus is a greater word. I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty excited, church. Like when I hear that Jesus is a greater word, that means that any other word anybody else got to say is less than what Jesus had to say. When I hear Jesus is a greater word, that speaks to me that this king has authority. That this king paid in full what I could not pay, and he has invited me to sit at his table. The king changed everything. Jesus is the final word. When I read the words of this king, Jesus, as he is speaking to his disciples and other people, that's a word to them, but that's also a word to me because my king is near. I don't have this far off king that is uninterested, that is far off. I have a king who is up close and personal, who gets in the midst of my mess and says, Nick, I know you think you're walking alone, but brother, let me tell you, I'm carrying you. So that is who Jesus is, everybody. He is a greater word. He speaks to us. See, prophets, they would talk about redemption. Jesus was redemption. Prophets would speak about grace. Jesus was grace. Prophets would talk about mercy. Jesus was mercy. Are we tracking together well this morning? He is a greater word. Verse number three. Here we go. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Let me read it again because I don't know if y'all are awake this morning. Jesus... The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the full radiance of God. He was God in flesh. He was everything we have heard about God in flesh. He is the radiance of God's glory. See, even the earth speaks of the glory of God. When you look at the Rockies, you go, whoa! When you see the sunrise over the ocean, whoa! When you get to walk with your bride as new life comes into this world, whoa! As you drive around the beautiful coast that God made, it was his idea and it reflects him, you recognize a little bit better that Jesus is the full radiance of God. What does that mean? Jesus is worthy to behold. As we gaze upon the king, it should impact us. It should change us. We should go, whoa, let me tell you about Jesus. He loves me. And people are like, he loves you? You're like, yeah. Mess and all. He loves me. Well, how do you know? Well, he stepped out of glory, lived a perfect life, gave his life on the cross. Three days later, he said, enemy, you thought you have won, but I'm about to mic drop and dunk on you. Jesus got up out that tomb and said, hey, you were new. Death, what you going to do now? 
Jesus loves you. And that should lead us to being in awe and beholding this king. That doesn't ever get old. But yet, if we are not careful, sometimes glory will become mundane and normal. Jesus says this in John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen Jesus, who have you seen? Jesus is like, hey, if you see me, the way I live, the aroma of my life, the way I love and, li- love and live on this earth, the way I rule and reign, you have seen my Father. If you want to know how my Father loves, look at how I love. You want to know what our Father had in store, look at who I am. Jesus is worthy to behold. Verse number After he had provided purification for sins, wait for it, y'all, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let me read that one more time. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See, what this author knew is that the people reading this letter would know something by what they are saying right here. They were very familiar with priests. See, what priests would do in Old Testament times and times before Jesus is that they would go make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But yet when they would go make a sacrifice, they would know that another sacrifice was going to be made. Why? Because people are flawed. Amen? So they knew even though they would get the unblemished lamb, they would get the cow that was unblemished and the best, they would still going to have to provide another covering because that covering would run out. And they were going to be in the presence of God himself. And here's what's amazing about that. Sometimes they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle because God's glory would overwhelm them and they would die. Could you imagine your name being called? Hey, you're going to go in and make sacrifice. You might not make it out. Don't worry. We're going to pull your body out. You'll be fine. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying this, see, our King Jesus, who is greater than He walked into the presence of his father and provided a sacrifice that was himself. It was the ultimate unblemished lamb. See, former priests, they wouldn't have a seat in there because they were going to have to keep working because the work wasn't complete. But what Jesus did was Jesus, when he surrendered his life, what did he do? He sat down. Why? Because there was no other sacrifice needed. Because he fully paid a debt that we owed. So he sat down in it because the work was finished. So now we get a place of victory. We ain't got to chase after it. We ain't got to hope for it. We get to walk from it, y'all. Because of where the king sits. He paid it in full. He finished it all. He's the purification of our sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Listen, when we recognize that Jesus is greater than, we live better than. When we recognize what Jesus has done, we live differently in light of that. Why? Because of whom our king is, and because he's greater than all things, we become better than all the things that used to so easily entangle us and trip us up. Knowing that should probably change our attitude and inspire awe. 
For those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time who think that he has become ordinary and mundane, he has not. He is still full of glory. He is still ruling. He is still worthy of beholding. And for those who have not beheld him yet, he is worthy of your gaze in your life. He is a better king. So Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And I believe Paul is reflecting on the goodness of this king and what this king has done. And he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, which they would have read out loud. And what Paul wants them to remember is because of the greater than this of our king, what our fitting response should be. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, here we go, says this. For this reason... I kneel before the Father. Paul is going, listen, because of who Jesus is, because he is the image of an invisible God, because of whom God my Father is, I'm going to kneel before him saying, he is greater than I am. He said, this is the only fitting posture is to bow down and recognize who is on the throne and who is greater than. Verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Then Paul is going, listen, what God has done is something truly beautiful. He has united a people who don't come from the same place, who don't think the same way, who don't vote the same, but he has knit us together through what he has done. That is worthy of praise. Because if you can get a people together who disagree about some things, but yet they are able to have the same posture and recognize that they've been changed by the king and they use that synergy to break, to, to fix what is broken. That's evidence of a king, amen. He said, listen, I was a, a Jewish person of Jewish people. You were a Gentile of Gentiles, but yet through what Jesus has done, he has knit us together. That's evidence of his greater than this. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. What is Paul saying? He's saying you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's think about that for a second. Remember, I've said several times that Jesus was dead in a tomb. Y'all, he was dead. He was not like almost dead. He was dead. Like no breath in his lungs. No blood circulating, no heart beating. He was dead. And then, through the power of our heavenly Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, what had stopped beating that did this thing that has never happened in the history of the world, it started beating again. You come on, tell somebody. It started beating again. And those lungs took that oxygen and it transformed it and gave off carbon dioxide again. Those muscles that were unmoving began to be triggered and began to work. And then Jesus like, I guess my nap is done. I guess it's time to get up. And he got up. And he said, death, where is your sting? I want y'all to recognize something. That power is within you. See, sometimes we forget that. We walk in a defeated posture, and the king is like, do you know who you are? Do you know what I have done? Do you know whose spirit is running through your veins? You are not defeated. You are walking from a place of victory. That is who you are. 
See, when we recognize that we have a greater than king, we begin to live better than because we're not doing it in our own strength. We got some supernatural, let me put it in a way some of y'all understand. We got some Holy Ghost power. So that changes the way that we live. And sometimes I ask myself, then why do I live so defeated? Why do I, why do I run back to grave clothes when I've been made alive? Because someone who's alive has no need for grave clothes any longer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. You being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is saying, listen, church at Ephesus, because of our king, we can love one another with a supernatural love. We don't have to understand what each other are going through to be there and to weep with those who are weeping. You don't have to vote the same way as me for me to love you. You don't have to be from the same place as me for me to offer understanding and love and for me to grow from you and for you to grow from me. Paul's going, listen, we get to do something different. We don't have to be what we used to be. Why? Because we have a greater than king who has put his spirit within us for us to walk out this gospel and for us to live powerful lives fueled by the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, place of business, neighborhoods, wherever we go, the atmosphere should change, y'all. Not because of us, but because who our king is. We have a greater than king. We don't have a JV broke down king, y'all. And I would dare say some of us live in such a posture that it's like our king is not out of the tomb. Your king ain't in there. Your king is seated on his throne. And because of that, we live differently. And the world should take notice of who our greater than king is. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Because he is greater than, we are better than. Listen, what we do today has the capacity and the possibility of changing generations to come. We don't like what we see in the world. Let us be the change agents that we have been called to be. If we don't like how our country is going and how we don't seem to like each other, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't offer judgment before you try to understand them. Don't tell them they have to be like you before you will give them an audience. No, you ain't got to be like me. I don't see the requirement for loving you is to like the same things I like. I see the requirement for loving you is I've been loved by a king and I didn't deserve it. So even though you hurt me, even though I don't understand you, even if you think differently than me, because I've been changed by a greater than king, I'm going to love you differently. And you're going to see the aroma of the king off of my life. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. What if the people of God lived in this way? 
What if we lived our lives in response that our king is greater than? What if we today, when we went to Cracker Barrel, servers would love when the church came coming? Instead of going, here come the cheapskates. Did I get too real? I hope so. Everything we do should represent the king from changing the diaper to tipping the server. Everything we do. Why? He is greater than so that we can be better than. Let us accept his invitation and walk from that. Let us be whom we have been called to be. He has put his very spirit within us to live differently. He is greater than, and because of that, we are better than. If you would, bow your heads. Jesus, for my friends in this place, or maybe for those watching online, Lord, maybe we have grown content and allowing a lesser than king sitting on the throne of our lives. Maybe we think we are the best king. May we be reminded in this place on this day that we are not a greater than king, but you are. And so, Father, for some of my friends in this place and those watching online, maybe the day is the day where they surrender the throne of their life to the rightful king, the king who pursued them, loved them, paid the price for them, redeemed them, and called them new, and put the robe of righteousness on them, and gave them the signet ring of the kingdom. So Jesus, right here and right now, maybe there is somebody who needs to surrender the throne of their lives to the rightful king. If they could say something like this, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all, but nobody does. But the best way I know how I say yes to the perfect life you live and the mission you were sent on from your heavenly father. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your life on a cross, paying a debt I was unable to pay because I was bankrupt. I say yes to the fact that three days later, you got up overcoming sin and the grave. And through you, I have a way to overcome sin and the grave. I say yes. I say yes to my seat at your table. I say yes to the robe you have given me and the ring you have put on my finger. I say yes. And on the authority of the king, not on Nick, on the authority of the king, it says you will be saved. Another way to say it is you sit at the table of the king and you have become as a son or daughter of the king. Maybe you're in this place and you have said yes to King Jesus, but yet you have tried to push him off the throne of your life doing it your way. Maybe today is the day where you go, I'm going to have a change of mind. I'm going to repent and I'm going to allow the king to lead me and to sit on the throne of my life. Wherever you are, my prayer for you in this place and in this space is to say yes to whatever it is you need to say yes to. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're greater than and that has made us better than. May we walk in that truth. May we fix our eyes on you again and again, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we live changed lives in light of what you have done. Jesus, we love you and we thank you and pray all these things in your name. Amen.